0: The Guardian. Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Mohammed Sarwar.
1: Question number one, Mr. Speaker.
0: Mr. Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in the House, I shall have further such meetings later today.
1: Mohamed Sarwar. Will my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, will join me and this House in wishing every success to Rangers football team, <laughs> which, is, which is which is which is proud to be which is proud to be Scottish and British, yeah, yeah, yeah. in bringing UEFA Cup back to Glasgow. <laughs> My right honourable friend will be aware that 1.5 million survivors of cyclone in Burma are facing starvation, disease and ultimately death. Can he tell this house what the government is doing to get aid through to these people? who are in desperate need.
0: Yeah. Well, Mr Speaker, of, of course I think the whole House will want to send the best wishes to Rangers Football Club playing against St Petersburg this evening in Manchester. He, he raises uh, a point that is touching the whole conscience of the world, that a natural disaster in Burma, by the actions of a despicable wave regime, has been turned into a human catastrophe, a man-made catastrophe as a result of their actions. And while there is a huge debate about uh, some of the issues surrounding it, the key thing for all of us is to get aid to the people of Burma as quickly as possible by the means available to us. Uh, That's why over the last uh, few hours, uh, a British plane has arrived in Rangoon. Three others will arrive very soon. More planes are being sent in the next few days. The first plane will provide shelter for 45,000 people. And that's why also in the next uh, day or two, uh, about 60 flights in total will have arrived in Rangoon. So there has been an improvement but it is not good enough. It is not good enough because the needs of the Burmese people are one and a half million people who face uh, famine or face uh, distress, and it's not good enough because the regime is still preventing aid getting to the rest of the country. That's why I asked uh, Ban Ki-moon, the General Secretary of the United Nations, to convene an emergency summit. Uh, That's why I've asked him, uh, and I believe he's considering this now, to go to the country itself. That's why Lord Mallet-Brown has gone to Asia to talk to Asian ministers about how they can coordinate action. And while it is right there is a debate, and rightly so, about the responsibility to protect and about airdrops, the key thing at the moment is to pressure the regime by all countries in Asia uniting with all of us to make sure that aid gets as quickly to the people of Burma as possible. And we are ready to do everything in our power. HMS Westminster is in the area. We're working with French and American ships to do so and at the same time we have a humanitarian team in Rangoon ready to do everything it can in the future. I hope the whole House will unite in saying that the Burmese regime must now let into the country all aid workers and all aid immediately.
2: Thank you Mr Speaker.
0: I join the Prime Minister in
2: wishing Rangers well. I'm sure he's right that the whole House uh, will support that. I wonder whether the member who was his colleague, the Chairman of Celtic, Uh, Football Club will take the same view, but we will see. More importantly, the whole House will want to express our sympathy for the victims of the earthquake in Sichuan. Everyone will have seen the very swift response of the Chinese government, and it is in stark contrast to the reaction of the regime in Burma, where the neglect of the military junta is turning a natural disaster into a man-made catastrophe. I'm very grateful for the update the Prime Minister has given us, and he's rightly said, that the Burmese government must let aid through. But can I push him a little bit more on if that doesn't happen, is he prepared to take further steps, including raising the issue of the responsibility to protect at the UN and supporting international efforts to deliver aid directly?
0: Uh, I, I, I thank you for the support for the action that we've already taken. Of course, of course at the United Nations uh, we will raise the issue of responsibility to protect and of course we leave ourselves open uh, to consider the issue of uh, airdrops. I have to say to him, however, that everybody who is on the ground and every aid agency that is advising us says that the best way of getting aid quickly to the Burmese people is to continue the pressure on the Burmese government, which has yielded some results but not sufficient results in the last few days, to continue that pressure so that Asian countries are in a position uh, to help us get the aid that is available to the people of Burma. I have, I have to say to him that when we tried to get a meeting of the UN Security Council uh, to discuss this, we have been blocked by other countries. That is why I have asked, that is why, that is why I have asked Ban Ki Moon, the Secretary General of the United Nations, that is why I have asked him to hold an emergency summit such as uh, Kofi Annan held when there was a tsunami previously in 2004. and I believe that uh, there is progress on that emergency summit, and I hope that is the means by which additional pressure is brought to bear through Asia on the Burmese Government. I don't rule out anything and nobody should rule out anything but let us be honest, all the aid agencies and others are telling us exactly the same thing. We must intensify the pressure to get more aid in through the Government as quickly as possible.
2: Thank you Mr Speaker. Of course on direct aid, of course the Prime Minister is right that the best step is to get the Government to open up the country to allow the aid agencies in but I do think it is worth setting a deadline by which we say well enough isn't through and more should be done. Yes, of course, the experts say that with direct aid, only a fifth of it will get through, but a fifth of something is better than 0% of nothing. On the issue of the responsibility to protect, could he clarify this for us? On this issue, the British ambassador to the UN said that the UN's responsibility to protect does not apply to natural disasters. Yesterday, the Foreign Secretary said it certainly could. Could you make absolutely clear that, uh, in our view, the responsibility to protect should be extended to Burma and to Burmese people at this time?
0: there are two ways of proceeding the responsibility to protect or the right to humanitarian intervention which was invoked in one thousand nine hundred and ninety nine and we leave all these options open. but i have to correct them we must not fall uh, for the impression that there is some easy answer in aid drops. I, 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 am prepared, I am prepared like others to consider aid drops but i have here what has been said by save the children this, this morning. right now talk of aid drops is a distraction. aid drops are an ineffective way of delivering aid. We must continue to push for access, and we're exploring other creative ways to get rid of the uh, uh, blockages, such as through boats. Now, what, what we, Oxfam has said also that it's a distraction, uh, and the World Food Programme, which is coordinating aid in Rangoon, has said it would be counterproductive. And water supplies cannot be dropped from the air without putting at risk uh, people in this country. Now, I say to him, I rule out nothing, but we not, must not give the public of Britain or other countries the impression that the best way is not the one that we are proposing, and that is to intensify pressure on the Burmese government and to make sure that aid gets to the people of Burma. Now,
1: that's the don't every, speaker. <laughs> every year thousands of, every year thousands of little angels are supported by children's hospice services. Funding, level, funding levels, however, for these services are often far lower than comparative services for adults. In my constituency, Mr Speaker, the Grace House appeal is selling crystal angels in order to raise funds to build a hospice. Will the Prime Minister give us support to this campaign and also take steps to improve the funding levels for children's hospices?
0: I thank the honourable member for raising this issue and I did make a delegation last week to talk about how we can improve the funding for hospices in the future. Uh, We have set aside additional money, support for all hospices and hospices at home services for children for up to five years, with funding of £10 a year until 2011, and we're publishing Better Care, Better Lives, which was launched in February, which is our strategy for children's palliative care. But this is a vexed issue for many parents. I recognise that, and I know that governments must do more, and we will continue to look at what more we can actually do.
1: Mr Speaker, um, yesterday's announcement was a complete charade. The government pretends to have solved the 10p problem when it hasn't. The Conservatives only seem to be concerned about the effect on their chances in a by-election. How, Mr Speaker, how can they all ignore the fact that even after yesterday's announcement, over a million, over a million of the poorest people in this country are still worse off? Don't they matter?
0: Mr Speaker, I'm surprised that the right hon. Gentleman Uh, His uh, his, uh, former acting uh, leader, uh, the Shadow Chancellor, welcomed our announcement yesterday. And the reason he welcomed it is that 22 million people are better off. And no government has a better record in tackling poverty than this government. We have taken 600,000 children out of poverty. Another 300,000 children are to be taken out of poverty. And a million pensioners have been taken out of poverty. No Liberal policy would ever have achieved that
1: remains. Under a Labour government, government, the worst paid are worse off. Why do they have to pay for his incompetence? They can't wait any longer. So when will he come back to this House with specific proposals to compensate in full the million people he has betrayed?
0: We've said we'll we'll come back in the pre-budget report, but he must not forget the fact that every, every person in the country who is an income tax set payer at the basic rate is receiving £120. 22 million people will receive that money. Households where there are two will receive £240. We have done what we said we'd do to offset the average losses and we are the only government that is taking people out of poverty. Poverty trebled under the Conservative government. Yeah, 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 yeah. Foster.
1: Thank you, Speaker. Um, Thanks to government investment, Um, The Hastings will soon have a new health centre, a state-of-the-art health centre, where GPs will be working together to provide and extend access to the individuals in my constituency. Would my right hon. Friend um, comment, or indeed agree, that that the proposals made by some to limit... Uh, the contract that was already made with GPs for weekend and, and evening uh, access. Would that not oh undermine the oh, it's,
0: it's too long, too long. Uh, Absolutely right to point out to the advances that are being made in GP services in this country. There is now weekend opening in places that there wasn't weekend opening before. There is now more GP access for after-hour services where there wasn't in the evenings before, the party that would put this at risk is the Conservative Party who says that they would backtrack on that promise that has been made, voted on, by GPs.
2: Thank you Mr Speaker. Yesterday it was revealed that in private the Housing Minister told the Cabinet that House prices would fall up to 10% this year, House building was stalling and further falls are predicted. Yet in public, the same Minister said the housing market was strong. Does the Prime Minister agree that she wasn't being straight with people?
0: Mr. Speaker, it's because of the condition of the housing market that I will be announcing, will be announcing new measures uh, later on in this uh, question time when I do my statement. And the reason is that the housing situation has deteriorated in the last few weeks. And why we are taking the measures we are doing are to protect first-time buyers and give them new opportunities. Uh, to take out stock that is not being bought so that housing associations and other authorities can buy it and help people who are facing repossession. Now, I thought the opposition party would support that, but maybe they don't remember that 15 years ago they caused the biggest repossessions we've ever seen in our history.
2: Mr Speaker, people want to hear about the future and people want some answers... And people want some answers from the Prime Minister. Yesterday, we all paid £2.7 billion to keep the Prime Minister in his job. The least he can do is earn it by answering some questions. Doesn't doesn't he understand that he is never going to get out of the hole he's dug for himself unless he starts being straight with people? In all other walks of life, if someone said something like that, the boss would say they shouldn't have done, they got it wrong. So let me try another one. Did the timing of the tax announcement yesterday have anything to do with the (laughs) by-election?
0: Mr. Speaker, as the Chancellor said yesterday, he had to bring forward his proposals if they were to go into the Finance Bill to be legislated now. Now, I I thought the Conservative Party would welcome our announcement that 22 million people have benefited, but they have not even told us yet whether they support our plan. And, Mr Speaker, the reason is this, that their tax priorities are further cuts in inheritance tax, stamp duty on shares, giving money to those people already rich. They have never at any time said that their priority is the low-paid and poorest members of our society. That is the Conservative Party that caused 15% interest rates, 3 million unemployed, and we will never forget the record repossessions that happened when he was adviser to the Chancellor.
2: So
1: there we have it, the
2: the cancelled election had nothing to do with the polls and the announcement yesterday had nothing to do with the by-election. Another day, another complete failure to be straight with people. Let's try another one. Last week, last week the Prime Minister claimed that Wendy Alexander wasn't claiming wasn't calling for an early referendum on Scottish independence. Will he now admit that she was calling for an early referendum and that
0: on this issue they simply don't agree? Can he take this
2: one chance to be straight with people?
0: Mr Speaker, I wrote wrote to him last week immediately after question time to point out when he challenged me that there is no plan for a legislation for a referendum in Scotland. There is no plan at Westminster, otherwise we'd have heard it. And there is no plan to put legislation through the Scottish Parliament now or in the immediate future. Now, I thought thought the Conservative Party would want to join together with the Labour Party in supporting the Union. I thought they'd want to support the integrity of the United Kingdom against the nationalist parties. But all we have is petty point-scoring when what we actually want is a defence of the Union. It's about time the leader of the Conservative Party did it. The party
2: that is putting the Union at risk is the Labour Party by playing play games for an early referendum at a time when Wendy Alexander and the Prime Minister are the two most unpopular politicians on the planet. (laughs) What could do more to put the Union at risk? Isn't a big part of the disastrous Premiership his failure to be straight with people? He won't be straight about the election. He won't be straight about the European Treaty. He won't be straight about the 10p tax losers. And even the one thing people thought he'd care about the Union, he won't be straight about that. Isn't that what we're seeing? A Prime Minister putting short-term decisions in front of the national interest.
0: It is the right honourable gentleman that is playing politics. He never told us whether he supported our tax package. He doesn't tell us now whether he's supporting us on the union. It's about time, it's about time instead of being the salesman, he started showing some substance about policy. We we are the party. We are the party helping 22 million people. We are the party with record employment figures in this country. We are the party taking more people out of poverty. We are the party expanding the National Health Service. His policies would put all that at risk.
1: Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I tell the Prime Minister that foreign investment into Yorkshire and Humber has increased by a staggering 80%, percent 80 percent in the last 12 months? That's mainly thanks to the sound economic policies of this Labour Government and the good officers of Yorkshire Forward. Will the Prime Minister join with me in congratulating Barsley based company Lou on winning Yorkshire Forward's Best Exporter of the Year Award?
0: Mr Speaker, I'm grateful to my honourable Friend who's been a champion of new industry for Yorkshire and I want to congratulate Yorkshire Forward also on the work it does. The fact is, even in difficult world situations, when unemployment has been rising in other countries, employment in Britain is rising today to 29.5 million people. There are half a more million more people in employment than a year ago. That's partly because of the New Deal and the regional intervention we're taking. We do not shirk from the necessity of intervening to protect, safeguard and advance jobs in the economy. I hope that other parties will join us in supporting the New Deal in the future.
1: George Winston. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Since the Leader of the Opposition has fessed up to breaking his promise to end Punch and Judy politics, does the Prime Minister still think that this weekly knockabout is the best way for MPs to hold his Government to account?
0: Yes, 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 yes Mr Speaker. and I, I hope there will be a vigorous debate on our legislative programme when we put it forward in the next, uh, the next few minutes. and I hope there will be a debate in this House and a debate in all regions and nations of the country about what we are proposing. That is the proper way to make decisions about the future of the country.
1: Ronnie Campbell, yeah. temporary workers have been exploited for years and years with low wages, long days at work and bad conditions, atrocious conditions. Will the Prime Minister think about bringing legislation forward to give these workers some real
0: rights? Here, here. Mr. Speaker, there, there is a, a general worry in all parts of the, countries, uh, of the country about vulnerable workers, about those people, those people who are ter- ter- temporary workers that are not given proper protection, and that's why I hope he will uh, look forward to the draft legislative statement, where I have something to say about the future of the agency workers directive. Yes. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Listening to the Prime Minister, you could be forgiven for thinking we are living in some sort of utopia, without giving. Another
1: boring history lesson. Can he tell us if he's made any, any mistakes recently?
0: <laughs> Mr. Speaker, I, I did, I did uh, say about the 10p that we should have done things better. I made that clear at the time. But what I'm not going to do, and what I'm not going to do, and what I'm not going to do, is make the mistakes the Conservative Party made: 15% interest rates, inflation at 10%, three million people unemployed and record repossessions. We will not go back to that.
1: Yeah. that the publication next month of the East Midland Regional Spatial Strategy will contain proposals for more than 60,000 houses in Greater Nottinghamshire. Will the Prime Minister ensure that development takes place on brownfield before greenfield sites, and that a high, feel, a high proportion of these new homes go to hard-working families
0: through social housing The vast majority of housing built in the last few years has been on brownfield land and that is how we intend to continue and equally at the same time we want to see affordable housing that is housing that will help people get their first rung on the housing ladder and I hope he will understand that the proposals that we have put forward in the public spending review are to build substantial numbers of affordable housing in his area and elsewhere including housing to rent over the next few years and I hope he will welcome the announcements that will be made later today about more funds for housing.
1: Sir Nicholas Winterton. Yeah. Yeah. The United Kingdom motorist is the most highly taxed in the world. Will the Prime Minister listen to the motorists of this country? Uh, Because many areas, particularly rural areas, including in my constituency of Macclesfield, there is very little, if any, public transport, and a motor vehicle is essential. Will he review now the proposals contained in the budget dramatically to increase the vehicle excise duty, which is unfair and penalises the rural areas of this country?
0: Mr Speaker, I I take seriously the needs of the motorists in this country, but I think when he looks at the proposals, the majority of motorists either benefit or pay no more in in vehicle excise duty as a result of these budget uh, proposals. But I think he should look look at what the chairman of the Conservative Transport Group said, uh, Steve Norris, who said, under the Tories, you will pay more in green taxes. You will, for example, see the reintroduction of a fuel duty escalator. Now, he should be talking to his Conservative colleagues about the mistakes that they're making I you, Mr Speaker Can I first of all welcome the Government's announcement this week of a review into the
1: services uh, uh, for social care for the elderly and disabled and inform my right wing friend that the all party local government group is conducting its own inquiry into services for the elderly Two themes are emerging from that, firstly that there should be a basic uh, entitlement a citizens' entitlement for the elderly to receive social care and secondly, that where the elderly receive social care, they should be treated as individuals with their own personal budgets, so they
0: can make their own choices about their own lives. Would my right honourable friend take account of those two principles when concluding, coming to the conclusions about his own review? Mr Speaker, this is precisely what the debate is about. And Launching the debate on social care on Monday, I, w- I was able to say that we will face uh, rising demands from a rising population of elderly, but rising aspirations also on the part of elderly people, who want better choices and better opportunities in old age to make the right choices for themselves. We expect over 1.7 million more people to have a need for care and support over the next uh, 20 years, and that's why this review should take place. I hope it will be possible to get a consensus on future funding, and I think you should also note that we'll be publishing our programme for carers in the next few weeks, and that is to back up everything that we're doing on social care too. Steven O'Brien, uh, Can the Prime Minister confirm that he's visiting crew in Nantwich in the next seven days? No, I cannot.
1: Nigel Griffin. Uh, will, Will the Prime Minister assure us that uh, he will not take any lessons from people who created two recessions, three million unemployed, 15% mortgage rates, who slashed public services, doubled national debt, and trebled the number of children in poverty. Stick to prudence, not empty promises.
0: <laughs> Mr Speaker, that is, what, that is what the debate in this country is now about. When we debated Northern Rock, we were prepared to intervene the Conservatives backed away from it. When we debate, when you debate how we can help people hard-pressed with fuel bills, we are prepared to give more money to people, with 22 million people benefiting yesterday. We still don't have an answer for the Conservative Party. That's why people will remember about the Conservative. They are the 3 million unemployed party, they are the 15% interest rate party, and they are the party of record mortgage repossessions, and the country is not going to forget.
1: Mr. Speaker... Mr Speaker, when the Prime Minister's predecessor Tony Blair met the Dalai Lama, he met him in Downing Street. When his predecessor John Major met the Dalai Lama, he met him in Downing Street. Will the Prime Minister confirm that when he meets the Dalai Lama, he will do so in Downing Street?
0: Mr Speaker, what matters is not part of Westminster we meet, but what issues are discussed about the future of Tibet. I am meeting uh, the Dalai Lama with uh, the uh, Archbishop of Canterbury. I'm also attending at Lambeth Palace a conference of faith groups involving the Dalai Lama. And I can tell this House that all issues of substance relating to our views on what's happening in Tibet will be discussed and on the table, and we will be pressing the Dalai Lama to join us in, in facilitating negotiations between the Chinese government and the Tibetans. That is the important way forward. And it's issues of substance that matter in this as well.
1: Thank you, Mr Speaker. What message does the Prime Minister have for the thousands of young people who are sitting GCSEs this week? And will he join me in congratulating teachers in my constituency where students achieving 5A star to C have risen from 44
0: to 74% under this government. This is another example, and I applaud my honourable friend for pushing this, of the progress that is being made in education in this country. Let me me just say that the proposals that take us forward for the next year are education to 18, opposed by the Conservatives, educational maintenance allowances expanded, opposed by the Conservative Party, expansion of the school building programme, where the Conservatives want to take money from it. On education, if we want investment in education, it can only happen under a Labour government. Mr Speaker, our new
1: London Mayor is off to a courageous start. Only only nine days into office, he's already taking on the scourge of youth crime. He's scrapping the Londoner newspaper and instead planting 10,000 trees and he's getting alcohol off our buses and tubes. The Prime Minister talks about courage. He's even written a book about it. But when is he going to pluck up the courage to call Boris in person and congratulate him on taking
0: office? Mr Speaker, when when the Mayor of London came last week to the House of Commons, I did congratulate him. But what 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 I also said is he'll be judged by his record. And he has got to show that he can expand transport expand the service of policing, and do something about affordable housing in London, and that's how he's going to be judged. Rosie Cooper. Thank you, Mr Speaker.
2: Free national bus travel for older people was greatly appreciated by my constituents. However, they were less delighted when they were told by West Lancashire District Council that if they used that free bus service, they would no longer be able to have free local rail travel. Um, unlike people in the local authorities nearby, (coughs) Merseyside and Manchester what can the Prime Minister do
1: to ensure that when government gives, Tory local authorities don't take away?
0: I, I I do applaud her campaign on behalf of the elderly people of her constituency in this and so many other areas. I can confirm that West Lancashire was allocated a grant of almost a quarter of a million pounds to pay for the new All England concession in transport This represents an increase of over 20% on what was previously available and spent on concessionary travel. I'm confident it is sufficient to meet their needs, and that is why the local authority should give pensioners the travel that they want.
1: Uh, Mr. Speaker, which country or countries blocked
0: a meeting of the United Nations Security Council on Burma, and what diplomatic pressure are we applying on them? We are applying a great deal of uh, of pressure. (laughs) Uh, and and, and I, think, I think it would be in our interest to apply that pressure rather than name names at the moment, and if I, if I, if I, may, I may say so, if I, may, I may, may say so that the pressure on these countries continues, and that is why also i 've called on the, General, the Secretary General of the UN to have an emergency summit. Now, I think the way forward now is an emergency summit, hopefully held almost immediately. And that will get the international community organized so that we can get supplies to Burma. But we will not rest in our determination to get a concerted international response. And I hope that he would support that. Ben Butler.
1: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. My constituency in Brent South has been described as many things, but one of the most offensive is being described as broken. My community and families in Brent are not broken. And in 2003, this government introduced a double maternity pay and pioneering paternity leave. Will my right honourable friend agree with me that it is now
0: time to review these measures? Mr Speaker, I hope that we can move forward with our plans on maternity pay and maternity rights over the course of the Parliament. And I hope that all parties in this House will now come to the view that paternity leave was also a good thing. It is unfortunate that while the Conservatives present themselves as a family-friendly party... They voted against the extension of maternity leave, they opposed paternity leave, and they even opposed the right to flexible working. That is not a family-friendly party.
1: The Guardian.